Hi, and welcome to Emotions and Potions, a love slash hate letter to with your hosts, Ashton and Alex. And this week, we are bringing you a special episode of The Never King by Nikki St. Crow. I don't know why I said special. We're not doing anything special about this episode. The book is special. But the book is special, so I'm, I'm leaning into it, okay? It's another novella. Yeah, this one kind of has been in the talks. It has. Super kind of popular. And so we were like, why not? I'm excited to talk about this one. We haven't really talked much. No, we haven't. Surprisingly. Yeah, we really didn't. No. So I'm super excited to break down this book and kind of hear what you have to say. Same. And what you think about it. Especially since uh, it's just hitting me that we haven't kind of already slightly spoiled what we're going to talk about with each other. I know. It's exciting. (laughs) So with that being said, should we just move right into our content and trigger warnings? Yes, because this book definitely comes with some. All right. So for the content warnings, we have reverse harem, mental illness, smoking, graphic slash rough sex, sex in public, group sex, dub con, CNC, graphic violence, graphic language, captive slash captivity, degradation, submission, bondage slash ropes, blood play, and choking. Boy, that was a lot. I didn't think that was going to end. As I was reading these. (laughs) So funny thing. I told you this. But when you, Alex was the one who recommended that we do this book. And so I had obviously heard of it. I knew it was a Peter Pan retelling. But Mm -hmm. I did not read the synopsis. I didn't really know anything going in besides it was a Peter Pan retelling. Yeah. So when I realized it was a reverse harem, I kind of was like, oh, shit. I didn't realize it was a reverse harem. And I read the synopsis and watched a lot of TikToks about this. And don't know how I missed that part. Yeah, so talking of synopsis, you want to read that to us? The stories were all wrong. Hook was never the villain. For two centuries, all of the darling women have disappeared on their 18th birthday. Sometimes they're gone for only a day, some a week or a month, but they always return broken. Now, on the afternoon of my 18th birthday, my mother is running around the house making sure all the windows are barred and the doors locked. But it's pointless. Because when night falls, he comes for me. And this time, the Never King and the Lost Boys aren't willing to let me go. The Never King is a dark retelling of Peter and Wendy. If you like your enemies to lovers romance with hot, ruthless, morally gray love interests, you'll enjoy the Never King and the Lost Boys. You can expect hate kissing, fighting, bickering, and touch her and I'll unalive you vibes. (laughs) That last part got me. Because that's... Very accurate. Yes. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. The synopsis is already giving you a spoiler. No, I would not think that it was a reverse harem. I guess the fact that they bring up the Lost Boys might be like a soft hint that they're not willing to return her. But like, I feel like you would have to really. But that doesn't mean that they fuck her. Right. No, but in a romance, who knows? Especially like a dark romance. Anything is possible. But no, I would not have expected it to be a reverse harem. Yeah, I mean, like, having read the book at this point, okay, yeah, maybe a little tiny sprinkle of a context clue, but... And also, that synopsis really only covers the first, like, three chapters. That does not give you anything about what the book is about, besides knowing that there's going to be, like, really intense, like, enemies-to-lovers tension. 
And Peter, Wendy, and Peter retelling. and Winnie, yeah, and then like Winnie or the darling getting like kidnapped, kidnapped on her 18th birthday. But that all happens in the first two chapters. Yeah, so it's like the rest of the book. Who knows? Who knows? You're about to know because <laughs> we are going to tell you and spoil the, the crap out of it, oh. as we always do. All right, but before we do that, we obviously have to get into our potion segment of the podcast. Alex made this magical-looking frozen drink for us today. So, Alex, Potion Master, what did you prepare today? So, I've dubbed this Neverland's Beach. I like that. Play on words. And what is in the Neverland Beach? So, it is some banana rum cream, some dark pineapple rum, some orange juice, and then some banana, pineapple, orange juice, cocktail mixture thing. Frozen drink thing. (laughs) And then there was supposed to be some cream of coconut, but I forgot to pack that when I was packing up everything else to come over here to record. But thankfully, you had some vanilla oat milk. So I used that instead of the cream of coconut. So if you're not a cream of coconut fan, use vanilla oat milk. If you like coconut, use the coconut. Use the cream of coconut. And then some ice, and I blended this, so we have a frozen, delightful concoction. It's the first frozen drink I've done. I've been dying to try this. Let's let's get it. Yes. Mm. That's very refreshing. That's like a good summer, like hot. I'm on a beach side, beach side, whatever side. I will say I'm a coconut person, and I do think I would like the coconut as a substitute instead of the oat milk. Yeah, but. It's still, still not very bad. Good. It's not bad with the vanilla oat milk, no. but same. I like coconut, so I would rather the cream of coconut in here. But not bad at all. Oh, my God. Make sure to check out the episode description, our Instagram, or TikTok, Emotions and Potions Pod, for this recipe. If you're interested in a really soft, like light frozen drink. Yeah, banana, pineapple, and then if you like coconut, mm. could have coconut daiquiri, culotta-esque thing. You can garnish it and make it extra tiki vibes with like a pineapple wedge, an orange wedge, some whatever the green things that sometimes bartenders put in tiki drinks. I don't know, but you know, that's when you anything. Can, that's when you go to like a really bougie like tiki bar. Ah, okay. Yeah, but super good, Alex. Once again, you nailed it out of the park. I don't think there's been a drink this season that you have made for me that I haven't liked. So do with that as you will. I think that's a huge accomplishment. I think you need like a badge of honor. I know. <laughs> like that is a huge win. For like, real. Because you're not a huge drinker and I've made you drink every single episode except yeah. one. But awesome, Alex. Way to go. Love that potion. Another really good one. So now that we have our potions, let's just jump right into this plot summary and break down what exactly happens in The Never King. A lot. Okay, so the book opens with Winnie Darling having lackluster sex in a car with the star quarterback of the football team, Anthony. Lackluster. That's such a good word for that scene. (laughs) That is what happened. Yes. She was not into it. After they finish, he drops her off at home and she returns to her frantic mother, Meredith, who is upset she was out as today is Winnie's 18th birthday. And on this day, the darling women disappear to be returned sometime later. 
broken and with varying degrees of sanity left. Mary, who has been left very broken, thinks she's been like diagnosed as being schizophrenic. That's how broken she was returned, has spent Winnie's life running and trying to protect her from the Darling Curse. They are currently living in their 19th home that has a room set up to protect Winnie, which is something straight out of a horror movie. Like there's blood on the walls, different spells and runes. Just crazy. Yeah. Winnie tries to get more information out of her mother about who is going to try and take her, what will happen, where will they go. And we learn that it is Peter Pan who will come for her and take her to Neverland. And he takes a darling woman as he thinks they can help him fix the magic of Neverland as Peter is losing his grip on the heart of the island. I mean, hear your mom say this probably sounds really crazy. Especially if she's been low-key kind of crazy your Your entire life. Kind of like, oh, mom's just rambling again. About Peter Pan. The myth of Peter Pan. Okay, mom. Whatever you say. Go to bed. See you in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Winnie, who doesn't totally believe the stories her mother has told her and definitely is very much afraid of losing her own mind like her mother did, is just kind of like, all right, we're going to, I guess, see where the night goes. And during the night, a storm starts and someone breaks into Winnie's home, a tall, broad-shouldered, ripped and tatted man Mm. with silver rings on all his fingers enters the protection room. So much for the protection room. (laughs) Yep, so much for them spending all of their money that they had on creating this protected little panic area. Like, it's literally a creepy panic room. Yeah. And this very handsome and strange man winds up lighting a cigarette, and he comes to collect Miss Winnie. Mary begs for him to spare her, and and he reminds Mary that they always come back. What a comfort. Don't worry, she'll be returned, but she won't be the same. She's going to be batshit. She's going to be just like you. And then he snaps his fingers and everything for Winnie goes dark. Lovely start. I do appreciate this, that this book got right to it, though. Yeah, they didn't waste any time. No, it set some background, but then they just, like, dove in. And I appreciate that. With like Especially since it's a novella as well. And it's a novella, yeah. So Peter winds up bringing Winnie to the Neverland treehouse, where we start to realize through the descriptors that the island and the magic are waning. We meet Peter's inner circle, Vane and the twins, Bash and Cass, and we find out the rules when it comes to the darlings. The boys don't fuck them. They just break them. Yeah, okay. I'm not ready to sign up yet. (laughs) But I I love because in the book, that's literally, I think that's like a direct quote. Basically. Winnie wakes up the next morning chained to the bed. Kinky. I mean, isn't that how everybody wants to wake up? Yeah. And is greeted by Castian, Cass, and Sebastian, Bash. And she finds out that they are the nice ones. And then Vane enters... And Winnie learns he is the meanest and scariest one. The twins shoo Vane away and take Winnie to make her breakfast and fill her in on things. Bash makes Winnie cloudberry pancakes, something her mom used to talk about. And Winnie is told that she is there to help them find something that was stolen from them. But they won't say what that something is and that she will be safe if she follows the rules cooperates, and most importantly, doesn't run or she will be chased. And she won't like that, they tell her. (laughs) But still not a lot of information. Everything's very vague. 
Yes. They're giving her some, but it's kind of like leaves her with more questions. It's like one of those situations. And as readers, like it leaves us with more questions. Like what the fuck are they talking about? Right. Because like we don't know anything at this point either. And here we get our first sexual tension encounter while Winnie eats the pancakes, which comes across as very seductive to the twins. Yeah, because she's, like, freaking moaning. I guess the pancakes are really good. Yeah. And she can't control herself. She's like, mmm. Mmm, they're so good. Mm. And she, like, just starts licking the syrup that's, like, dripping. So the twins are starting to, like, be into Winnie. And they're having to have these conversations with each other. And, like, the twins talk to each other in, like, this secret language thing that everybody else hears as bells. And they're like, remember, we can't touch her. She's barely been there. I know. <laughs> Like, talk about instant, like, lust. Yeah. These boys have it bad. Cherry, who has a big crush on Vane, waltzes into the treehouse and meets the new darling. Her and Winnie seem to hit it off. So, yay, she has a female ally. As the sun sets, Peter begins to wake up and Vane goes to meet him. And the two take Winnie down to the beach to show her Pan's territory and that she has no way to escape. Look at all this beautiful stuff. Don't try to go nowhere. Because you can't. Because you can't. (laughs) And we will find you. Winnie starts to ask questions about why she's there and states that she can't help them and demands to be taken home. This act of defiance starts to make Vane turn more monsterish, which causes Winnie to break one of the rules and she runs away, which causes Peter to have to chase after her because Vane is going monster mode and if he chases after her there won't be anything left probably gonna kill her (laughs) peter winds up taking winnie back to the house and she is definitely attracted to peter and he warns winnie that he will be rooting around in her head soon to find out if she has any information that will help them find what was stolen still not telling her what it is that they're looking for we get some backstory on winnie's past And we find out that her mother was a sex worker and one of Winnie's idols and role models was Starla, who is another sex worker. And she taught Winnie about a girl's toolbox. And that is, there's no greater power than tits and brains. And, not or. Both. Both. Remembering this, Winnie formulates a strategy to put a divide in the treehouse and that this may be a way for her to get some help in going home. So... Strategy number one, she's going to fuck a lost boy. Yeah, she's going to seduce one of the boys in hopes that she'll be able to find a way to escape or use them in an escape or whatever. And the first target is Cass. Because he's out of even the twins, like he's probably the nicest Nicest. of the nice. Yeah. Yeah, he's the good boy. And I use that very loosely. In the middle of the night, Winnie calls out for Cass as she's had a nightmare. And he calms her down by creating an illusion in her room, which is like a beautiful starry night sky and like pretty forest surroundings. Because even though Peter has kind of lost some of his magic, there's still magic in Neverland. Yeah. And like the twins have some magic. Vane has some magic. So you'll see kind of those things throughout the book as well. We figure out why the twins have some magic. Because we find out they're fairies. Winnie uses this comfort and cuddling moment to try and seduce Cass. And he catches on to what she's doing and rejects her advances, even though he's turned on and he wants Winnie. So he leaves the treehouse to go get his release from a random town girl. And Winnie overhears this. 
Because he goes up to, like, some girl at a party and is like, you, on your knees, suck my dick. Yeah, and she's just watching from the bedroom window. And there, it's like a bonfire outside the treehouse. And, yeah, when he sees the whole thing. And so she's like, okay, I know he's attracted to me, but he's too nice. He's not going to act against Peter. Yeah. Like, that was her, I think, the fail with Cass. Yeah. Is that he's, like, too good. Too good. Like, that he's, he's gonna not going to break that, the rules. Right, and he has that moral compass. So Bash comes storming in to confront Winnie about how she got Cass all out of sorts. Because they also have this, like, twin telepathy. Like, they can yeah. feel each other's emotions. So, like, he knows something has set. And then also, off. like, Cass, like, passes Bash, like, on his way out to go find the random hookup. And Bash is like, the fuck, bro? And so as they're arguing, Bash lets it slip that Pan is dying. Since Bash is starting to let some intel slip, and when he can sense his desire for her, she realizes her first lost boy sex target should be him. So she reaches out and gropes him. Coming in hot. <laughs> Bash responds with a fuck it and commands Winnie to bounce on his cock. <laughs> to which Winnie obliges. Yeah, Bash does not try to hold out. He's just like, yeah, get on this dick. <laughs> yeah. He probably like fights it for all of 0.5 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> a thought and then it's our, yeah. And then it's the fuck it. <laughs> Let's get it on. As they are in the middle of their session, Pan walks in on them. And they pause, and Peter butts in with a, don't stop on my account, go on and fuck her. Just as Winnie is about to orgasm, Pan pulls her off of Bash and sends him out of the room. Since she couldn't get off, Winnie starts to finger herself, and Peter inserts his fingers into Winnie and has her clean them off with her mouth. Once Winnie reaches her climax, Pan grips her face and tells her, we don't fuck, darlings. Stop fucking around or you will regret it. And leaves her still wanting in the room. That was a good scene. I liked that one. It was good. It was good. There was a lot of tension and pent up a lot of things. Yes. Peter winds up meeting up with Vane, who has fucked Cherry, to help get rid of his problem of his little monster side taking over. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Pan kind of ordered him. He's like, you have to sleep with someone. He's like, why not Cherry? She's obsessed yeah. with you. She wants you. It's, it'll be easy. Just get it. Yeah. Give in because, like, you're not going to be around the darling if you can't fucking control your temper, like, yep. your monstrous side. And Vane also gets informed that Bash has just fucked Winnie. And as the sun is about to rise, Peter must go off to bed. I have a theory on this. Okay. It hasn't been confirmed in the books yet. I think Peter's a vampire. Really? I just thought it was part of him losing what he lost and his magic waning that it was a consequence of, like, whatever. So it was just, like, as soon as he gets his thing back, what he's searching for, he'll I, be able to be out in the light. Well, that the thing that's lost helps him be in the light because it's magic. And remember, they're like, nobody, no human has ever had a shadow. So Peter's not human. And when Winnie was, like, asking about what Peter is, one of the twins was like, oh, that's his story to tell. I feel like he's a vampire. But they also kind of hint at him being a god. I'm going vampire. Okay. I didn't really read all that much into that, but that would be a, that would be a twist. Unconfirmed theory. Yeah. Following some morning coffee girl chats with Cherry and Winnie, Winnie learns about the territory, and we find out there are seven islands, seven kings. Every island has two shadows, a life shadow and a death shadow. 
and every king must have a shadow. Pan is king, but has lost his life shadow. So we finally know what the lost thing is. The shadow. shadow. The life shadow. Mm -hmm. And the death shadow is missing on Neverland. Cass and Bash are fey princes who lost their wings when they killed their father and have been banished from the fey court. Cherry is from Hook's pirate territory, and he hates Peter. And we also find out that Vane has a death shadow, and Winnie winds up getting invited to a bonfire party. So Cherry has spilled a lot of secrets. Yeah, Cherry definitely is like has a loose mouth. Oh yeah, like she just likes to talk. And she probably she's needs spilling everything. Yeah, and she probably means no harm by it at this point. Like she's probably just gossiping. Yeah, but like yeah, she can't keep a secret to save her life. No, like Winnie is getting all of her intel from Cherry, which makes her want to like befriend Cherry even more. Like, hey, maybe this girl can actually help me get out of here. And then doesn't Winnie also ask Cherry what happened because she looks beat, beat. up? Yeah. And she's just like, I fell. <laughs> it's fine. I'm good. It's fine. She winds up admitting that she had sex with Vane and that he likes it rough. rough. His shadow <laughs> likes it rough. His shadow needs it rough. Yeah. Cass and Bash are chilling in some hammocks down by the beach. And Bash lets his twin know that he fucked Winnie. Then Cherry comes sauntering over, and she winds up asking their permission to take Winnie to the bonfire that evening and for Bash to supply the food. The two hesitantly agree after Cherry agrees to handle dealing with Peter if he gets mad about the situation. We cut to a new point of view, the brownie, who is with the fairy queen Tilly, who is the twin's younger sister. He informs the queen Pan has the new darling, and that Winnie will probably be the last one that he can take. And now is the time to act if she wants to take the island for herself. Plot twist. The queen wants a meeting with Hook to see where he stands as she doesn't want to fight with him too. Yeah, she's definitely looking for an alliance. Yes. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's a lot of this in this in this book. Oh my goodness, so much of it. Especially as like... It goes on, yeah. Yeah. Cass winds up going to check on Winnie prior to the party and apologizes for his brothers fucking her. To which Winnie lets him know she enjoys sex. She's very sex positive. Yes. And sex craving. They have a little heart to heart about how she's different from the other darling women. And they start to bond and become a bit closer. Prior to heading to the bonfire party... Winnie and Bash flirt with each other in the kitchen, and Vane interrupts and is an asshole to Winnie. Of course. He has been this whole time. Time to head down to the party. Cherry, Kaz, Bash, and Winnie share some pregame sips of fairy wine on their way down, which hits Winnie faster than the others since she's a human. Cherry and a drunken Winnie are playing cards with some of the Lost Boys, and one of them is getting handsy with Winnie under the card table. And she decides that she wants some more male attention. And since Kaz, Bash, or Peter aren't around, this lost boy will do. Yeah, she's like, there. he's not as hot as, like, the other guys, but... He's here. He's here, and he obviously wants it, so... Okay. So she gets into his lap and starts kissing him. Time for Peter to wake up, and Vane informs him that Winnie is drunk and at a party and potentially about to fuck a lost boy. This enrages Peter... And he storms off to the bonfire. Once he reaches the festivities, he yanks Winnie off the boy, tosses her to Vane, 
and literally rips the lost boy's heart out, killing him instantly. Winnie and Pan start to argue, which leads to Peter kicking Winnie's legs apart, bending her over a table, and starts fucking her, saying, if you want to act like a whore, then I'll treat you like a whore. And he asks her if she wants to come. When she says yes, Peter makes her beg for it. Winnie begs, and then Peter tells her to come for him while the Lost Boys watch. And this sends Winnie over the edge to climax. Winnie then gets passed to Cass, who starts to fuck her pussy, while he beckons Bash over to fuck her mouth. After the twins fill Winnie, Pan declares no one else is to touch her. Then Vane joins the party, and when Winnie gets offered to him, he just spits in her mouth and walks off. Very Vane-like. Mm-hmm. And then Pan warns Winnie to never provoke him again. Winnie, instead of feeling used or any sort of negative way about this and what just happened, she's starting to realize that she no longer feels lost, and in fact, she might just be found. After having sex with Winnie, Peter and Vane go to take the edge off by killing some pirates at a local bar called the Black Dove. So during this, we also learn that the Death Shadow, which is what Vane has, um, is also referred to as the Dark One. And then the Life Shadow always belongs or has the title of King. So like that's kind of also the difference between the two shadows. So the two boys, they enter the bar and two of Hook's men are not causing any troubles whatsoever, just casually drinking their beer. But Pan has some emotions he needs to release, so him and Vane start a fight and say, sorry, boys, it's your unlucky night. You just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Literally talking about the worst luck ever. So we flash back to Winnie. So after her shower and after that fuck fest that just happened, she climbs into bed with the twins, one twin on each side of her. Bash ties a bracelet around her wrist telling her that the acorn cap is called a kiss and that it's also like magical or has magical qualities. Winnie is sore and the boys ask her if she is all right. And she never has been like she's never experienced someone caring about her comfort. So like that kind of hits her hard. And she falls asleep after telling Bash her favorite food are croissants, he asks. So Winnie wakes up and finds Bash in the kitchen, and he has made her croissants for breakfast. Aww. So Peter's tomb gets brought up between the two. Winnie learns about Peter not being able to go in the sunlight without it killing him, but not what's causing it, and that he has to sleep underground, essentially. Vampire. <laughs> Bash and Kaz decide to teach Winnie how to clean fish. During this, Winnie takes offense to Bash, saying they need to take care of her, and she counters saying that she's taking care of herself her entire life. But Winnie is also kind of, like, malnutritioned. Like, she's very, very skinny. And, mm-hmm. like, the boys can tell. They're kind of like, what was Meredith doing? Like, why does Winnie look kind of sickly, essentially? Because they broke her to the point of insanity. She also learns that the Lost Boys like to kill people and murder a lot. Bash literally says, like, he, he's like, yeah, we murder people a lot. Casual. Because in their world, if you aren't the monster, you're the prey. We also learn that Cass is very good with a blade and Bash is very good with ropes. Bash finally lets Winnie in on a secret that the twins are the princes of the Fae. Confirms Cherry's story. Yes. So yes, so essentially the twins have been banished from their home due to killing their father. The twins tell Winnie 
the fish is for their sister, who will be coming to see the darling now that the moon is full. Cass misses his sister greatly and feels awful that they had to leave her with no protection. Like, that's something that he's really holding on to. So Winnie is walking around the treehouse and stumbles into a library where she finds Vane reading Frankenstein, which Winnie finds fitting. Very. Winnie pushes Vane, asking if he's such a dick due to the dark shadow. (laughs) Winnie continues to push him by walking over and sitting on his lap. He pushes his dick into her behind and asks what she plans on doing now. He's not hard yet, and that pisses Winnie off. So she takes off her sweater and shirt, revealing her boobs to him, and that starts to make him hard. Brains and tits. So we get some steamy enemies bants that leads into a really good tension scene with Winnie and Vane. Honestly, all their encounters in this book, book are like tension scenes. Oh, yeah. And it's like that hate yeah, like that enemy. kind of yeah. tension. Yeah. So Winnie is trying to take Vane's pants off, but then he has her pinned to the floor in like a heartbeat. She doesn't even see it coming. He warns her not to fuck with him and tells her he is only going to make her his pretty little broken fuck doll before leaving Winnie on the ground. Lovely. Such a gentleman. And that's a direct quote from said book. (laughs) So Peter has woken up for the night and finds the darling curled up in the library once he leaves his tomb. He is thinking about their night together and how he wants a repeat of the bonfire. And he notices that she's reading Frankenstein. Pan tells Winnie about his shadow and how a darling took it and that ancestors can inherit memories and that is why they take the darling girls at the age of 18. Winnie puts together that the fae queen can search these memories by getting inside their minds and she realizes that this is what causes the madness or the curse of her family. Winnie asks if there's another way but Pan doesn't know. Pan is focused on getting her memories back because he is dying and so is the island's Winnie doesn't want to go mad, so Peter makes her get dressed and has her follow him. Because she's kind of panicking now. Rightfully so, though. I mean, she's seen firsthand what this does because her mom is definitely not stable by any means. So Peter asks Winnie how she got the scars on her back, and she tells him it was her mom trying to protect her from Peter and the Lost Boys. So essentially, growing up, her mom tried to, like do, I don't know, like, seances or something to try to protect Winnie. Like, any and everything magical, protective, but dark. But it, like, has obviously left scars on her body. And, like, it's something that she's very self-conscious about. Like, she doesn't let the boys see them for a while. Like, yeah. it's something that she's very conscious of. Because, like, with the room, like, with some of the runes being, like, painted on the wall with blood, Winnie has those same rune carvings in her skin. So Pan asks, we learn that it was her mom trying to prevent Peter and the Lost Boys from taking her. And they should feel like shit. Yeah, they should. So they make their way to the Never Lagoon and Marooner's Rock. Peter has Winnie look down to see the swirling figures below that kind of look like ghosts or mermaids. Like a combination of the two. And so her mom always talked about how pretty the water was in Neverland and about the mermaids. So like Winnie kind of is like connecting that, oh... Maybe my mom has been to this part of Neverland. So Pan does tell Winnie that he brought Mary, Meredith, uh, here during her time in Neverland and tells Winnie that it helped her mom and he hopes that it helps her. Peter then takes her back to the house because Tilly the Fae Queen will be arriving shortly. As Winnie and Peter arrive back at the treehouse, Vane has been looking for them and Winnie cannot get a read on Vane and it's driving her crazy. 
Bash and Kaz take the darling to get dressed and tries to reason with Kaz about how she doesn't want to do this, but comes to the conclusion that she ultimately does want to help Pan, so she's going to go through with it. Cherry lends Winnie a dress, and she makes her way out into the common area. The queen has arrived, and she looks like a fairy straight out of a fairy tale. So wings, very petite looking. She glows. Beautiful. Beautiful, kind of like fragile looking, but obviously like not fragile. Winnie takes a seat in front of Tilly, and they begin as pain cracks through Winnie's skull. So Bash is upset because his sister won't look at her brothers, and he feels betrayed because they did everything to protect her ultimately. Tilly begins the process, and Winnie starts screaming. Bash is very close to stopping Tilly because he can't deal with Winnie being in pain. But before he can, Vane, of all people, leaps in. So Winnie is in so much pain at this point, but is pushing through because she wants to help Pan, and this is the way to do it. She's telling herself just to hold on, but the pain is so bad until she gives in. Then the light cuts out, and the pain ebbs away as she falls into Vane's arms. Vane says no more to Pan and to Tilly as he takes Winnie from the room. So he's kind of going against Pan at this point. He He does have a soft side. He lays her down on the bed and asks if she is all right, and he slides into bed with her. Vane opens up and tells Winnie that where he comes from, girls like her are broken every day for no other reason than to watch them crack, and he is sick of it. He tells her to rest, and she passes out. So Vane's kind of soft, like his weakness is pain not being inflicted by him yeah, on somebody that he might be interested in. So Winnie wakes up in a room she doesn't recognize and sees a woman who looks familiar. This unknown woman is unlatching her great-grandmother's trunk and picks up a smaller box and places it into the drawer. Another woman speaks, someone resembling Tilly, and she says he can never have his shadow back and that he will never have his darling either. So Winnie lurches awake as Kaz enters the room. Obviously, that was like a dream. She wants to see Pan, but it's daylight, so he's obviously in his tomb. She demands to go see him, and Kaz warns her that Pan might kill her if he is woken during the day. She doesn't budge, so Kaz takes her down to the tomb. He turns on a light, but the bed is empty. Pan is awake, hiding in the shadows of the room. Winnie asks who has wings, glowing skin, and look like Tilly. Pan answers Tinkerbell. Pan tells Winnie he killed her and is getting impatient by her questions. She tells him it's about his shadow, gripping his attention instantly. Oh, something for me? Maybe I'll entertain you. Right. That's kind of But you wanting to know information about why you've been abducted? Fuck off. Right. So Peter tells Winnie that a darling stole the shadow, but it was Tink who masterminded the whole thing. Tink was in love with Peter, but Peter was in love with the original darling, And Tinkerbell's love for Peter wasn't stronger than her hate for the darling. So Tink killed the original darling and Peter killed her. Winnie tells Peter she may know where the shadow is and it's in her great-great-grandmother's trunk. So Pan, Bash, Kaz, and Vane are all coming on this adventure to Earth for Pan's shadow. Pan doesn't have enough magic or power to take all of them, so they will be jumping into the lagoon since it also works as a portal. Winnie really doesn't want to jump off this rock and is kind of like, it takes a little bit of convincing. But Pan finally, he talks her into it and says that she will be fine. And on the count of three, her and Peter jump into the lagoon. 
So when she comes up for air, she realizes that she is home. So the portal worked. She's fine. As they enter the house, Winnie calls for her mom, but there's no answer. As they head towards the living room, there is a man with her mom, and Pan calls him Brownie. Brownie always knew where the shadow was, and he still wants to stop Pan from retrieving it since he was a vicious king and no one wants him back on the throne. Tilly wants what is best for the island and believes her brothers could claim the two shadows for themselves. A fight then breaks out between the brownies and the Lost Boys. So I also think like there's the main brownie, but then he also has like six or seven other brownies with yeah. him. So it comes, it becomes this brawl, this death brawl. <laughs> Definitely that. <laughs> yes. Winnie runs over to her mom and the trunk as she unlatches it, but can't figure out how to open the like compartment where this box was. She keeps trying and finally the drawer opens showing a small box. So Peter's fighting off the brownies and the Lost Boys are winning. Brownie turns to the twins and tells them if they are looking for a path back to their throne to stand with him now. Peter can hear the tinkling of the bells of the twins talking in their fey language. Pan used to be able to understand and speak fey. When he had a shadow. But when he had a shadow, but since losing it, he kind of lost that ability. Cass and Bash suspicions hold when they ask Brownie if their sister had been against Pan this whole time and purposefully is hurting the darlings in order to keep their memories suppressed. And he screams that Peter killed Tink, kind of confirming that that's kind of what was happening. Peter ends up killing Brownie. Peter killed Tink by walking up to her and saying, I don't believe in fairies, and watch the light in her eyes go out. So he's kind of like remembering this as he's like killing Brownie. So Peter approaches Winnie and Mary and tells them not to open the shadow until they are back in Neverland. Winnie then begs Peter to let her go back with him because she believes Tilly is plotting against him and she may be able to help. He finally gives in and tells her not to get cocky and she responds with, I won't, I'll just get cock. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> Winnie then hands over the box to Peter and, thanks, and he thanks her for her help. So Winnie tells her mom she will not be staying but returning to Neverland and asks her mom to go with her. Mary tells her that she feels better for the first time in a really long time and wants to stay, but encourages Winnie to go back. Winnie says goodbye to her mom and makes peace with her life on Earth before taking Peter's hand as he leads her into the night. So now we're hitting the epilogue with Peter. So everyone is back in the loft and they are casually drinking in celebration um, for, of finding Peter's shadow. They all take a collective breath as Peter unlatches the box and as he opens the lid... Two shadows leap out. Dun, dun, dun. End of book one. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger like I've never seen one before. Woo. So that was the breakdown, the plot of The Never King. Definitely took us on a journey. A quick and intense journey. Yes. And I know both of us had continued to read the second book. Obviously, the third one's not out yet. But like we, it was one of those things where as soon as we finished book one, it was like on to book two. I read book one and book two in the same day. So Alex, let's talk about some of our favorite tension slash sex scenes of this book. So would you like to start? So my favorite tension scene was Bash cooking for the bonfire. And Bash is shirtless making honeysuckle tarts and Winnie and him are having like some lighthearted bants. And at this point, they've only slept together. Mm -hmm. And then Peter has like fingered her, but that's yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Winnie winds up sticking her fingers into the batter, 
and starts licking it off. So Bash then gets some batter on his fingers and has Winnie lick it off for him. And she's licking it off his fingers like she'd be sucking his dick. Right, like very overly sexualized. Yes. Yes. Intentionally. Right. And then Vane interrupts the moment by putting his fingers in the batter and then he winds up like smearing it on Winnie's face and like over her lips and stuff, trying to get a rise out of her. Winnie, however, winds up licking the batter off of her lips very seductively and is like, mmm, so good. Yeah, definitely turning the tables a little bit. Because obviously <laughs> Vane did that out of spite and aggression. Yeah. Like, and then Winnie's taking it. I think she was like hurt in this moment. But then she was like, nah. Yeah, it was like a moment. It was like a moment of shock. And she's like, oh no, no, no. I got you. I see, I see what you're doing. And and I'm I'm up you. (laughs) So then Vane just like walks off all frustrated, like fucking whore, stupid, just uh, (laughs) Yeah, he's just mad. That was my favorite tension moment. That was a good one. I forgot about that one. And it was also kind of funny too. Yeah. Yeah, because I like because Bash, him and like Kaz, they're like the nicer ones. Yeah. But like Bash definitely has like an edge to him. He has a little bit of a bad boy streak. He's like that bad boy with a heart of gold kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And I think that like Winnie just loves that. Yeah. And, and like their bands together are like because Bash is like at this point really the only one who isn't holding back his attraction towards Winnie. Yeah, because like. Because Cass is, like, too much of a good boy, like, too much of a good guy. And he's Peter's boy. So he's trying to almost take this, like, bros over hoes approach to And things. also, like, Peter technically is a king. Yeah. So, like, his word is normally law. Like, and, and then Cass is also, like, very smart. And he's like, if I mess this up, I have nowhere to go. Right. And, like, I love the difference between the twins because Bash is definitely, like, the man-ho. And the he rebellious with, one. Yeah, he thinks with his dick. He he is the type of, like, if I had to put a quote with Bash, it would be ask forgiveness, not permission. Yes. Type of approach where Cass is the reverse. Like, he's going to follow the rules and he's going to think big picture. Mm-hmm. And he'll break them if it's for the greater good. But not out for Winnie at this point. Yeah. Like, but Bash, thinking with his dick... He's like, she's hot. She wants it. I want it. I want it. Fuck it. (laughs) Fuck everything else. But let me fuck that. So what was your favorite sex scene? So my favorite overall sex scene was definitely the one that I went into a little bit more detail with in the plot breakdown, the bonfire sharing scene, minus Vane spitting into Winnie's mouth. Is it bad that I had that reaction again where I was like, do I like that? And then I'm like, (laughs) no. 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 But like... Maybe if it was vain, like I don't know if it's a demon or vain. Sure, <laughs> yeah, not like realistically, not in like real life, but like if I was Winnie, I don't think I would have minded that to be honest, and I think that scares me. <laughs> we may need to look into that, that a little bit further. Me. <laughs> worries me a little bit, but what about you? What What were your favorite okay sexy mm. moments? So my favorite tension scene was with Winnie and Vane in the library where she sits in his lap, she, like, strips down, he pins her to the ground, and he's like, don't fuck with me. That is I'm going to make you, like, my broken fuck toy. And then, yeah, I mean, like, that whole kind of scene. Like, that is just the epitome of, like, her in vain. Oh, yeah. The aggression, the degradation. And, like, Winnie likes that. Like, she likes when the guys call her a whore or, like, a slut. Like, she likes that degradation secretly. Maybe not secretly. She's learning about that being a kink for her. Yeah. So, like, 
it's funny because it's like whenever Vane tries to overcompensate and like scare her, it makes her chase harder. Yeah, it gets her more hot and bothered. Yeah, because she's like, no, I want you and I'm going to have you. So you might as well just give it to me. Exactly. And my favorite sex scene was also the group scene in the bonfire. Had a little bit of everything. Yeah. Sharing, public, double penetration in some sense. Different holes. Different holes. Two people in separate holes. (laughs) Uh, Spitting. (laughs) Yeah, you know. Degregation. (laughs) For some reason, the spitting wasn't as hot to me in this book as it was in... Her soul. In her soul. Yeah. Well, that one... Because that was done out of love. Yeah. This Vane one is spitting on her because he's like, you're beneath me. Yeah. And I don't want to fuck with you. Or do I? Hmm. Oh, he definitely does. <laughs> All right. So I uh, move it right into our loves and hates. Yes. Okay. You want me to start us off? Kick it off. So I really enjoyed this plot and the story of this retelling. And like over the two books that we've read, not just Never King, mm-hmm. like I think thought that it was very like it's it kept me very intrigued like it was hard to set this book down because I yeah don't get me wrong love the smutty elements of this book but like the plot itself I was like this I was really good especially like with it being a cliffhanger that's why I immediately had to go to book two because like I need to know what happens yeah like I I really enjoyed it and I think that it was a really good retelling of Peter Pan in like a darker sense darker take yeah, that, I mean, kind of goes into, like, my first love is the dark retelling of Peter Pan. And then I loved it with Peter being the love interest this time around versus some other retellings that we've read where it's Hook mm-hmm. who is the love interest. Yeah, surprisingly, this is the first one that I've read that it's actually Peter is the good bad guy. Yeah. Because obviously he has issues. He's not a good guy. But, like, in the story, he is the good guy. Like, he's Though I will the say- love interest. Having to read out the synopsis about how, like, Hook isn't the villain, could the love interest potentially change in, like, book three and four? Maybe. It could. I don't see that happening. But that was just something I thought about when I had to do the synopsis reading. Right. And I was like, right. oh, hmm, maybe. this sentence, is are things going to change or is maybe. it a red herring? Yeah. Maybe. Something else that I freaking loved about this book was... All the POVs. Yes. Okay, so you get all the boys. You get the four lost boys. You get Winnie. You get Brownie. Mm-hmm. I think you get one from Tilly. Or is that book two where Tilly I starts? I don't know. I don't know. Because then... Book two, you get Tilly, Cherry, and Hook as an additional... Like, there's so many POVs. And I, personally, just love multiple point of views because you really get into the head of every character. And it just builds that character... It was so yeah. much more. I feel like this is the most amount of point of views I've ever gotten from a series. But I'm not mad at it. No. At all. No. And obviously Winnie's the main one. She mm-hmm. definitely has the bulk of the chapters in her point of view. But I, I like that you get not even just the harem. You get people outside of it. of it point of view. So good. So good. I loved that Bash was a foodie and a really good cook. Also being someone who is a foodie and likes to cook, give it to me, Bash. I did like that. And that was kind of like his role. Like yeah. in something that you learn reading, we didn't mention it, 
But that's kind of his role with all the darlings. Mm -hmm. He's always the one that cooks for them. And he always makes sure he cooks things that they like. And they're not trying to like hurt the darlings. No. Like that's not their intention. Their intention really is to find the shadow. It's really Tilly ultimately who's hurting the girls. Yeah. So. They should have asked questions about that maybe. But also with it being Bash and Kaz's sister, would that be potentially crossing a line where they would be like, no, Tilly wouldn't do that. She's... I could see that, but then it's like, they also killed their dad, so... Right. Another love of mine is, like, all the dirty talk and tension between Winnie and the Lost Boys. It's something that is just in every occurrence, like, every encounter. There's, like, an undertone of just There's a lot of sexual undertone. Because something that we talked about before we started recording this segment was how we thought there was a lot more sex scenes. We thought that this book was way more smuttier than actually re-going, like going through and actually writing our plot summaries. There was no sex scenes in the second half of the book. Just a whole lot of sexual tension. But it's a whole lot of sexual tension that just because there's not full-out sex scenes, it makes it seem like it's a lot more intense yeah. than, it, than it is. And I love that. I love when an author can like portray feelings and emotion, whether that be feeling that tension or crying, like because it's sad or emotional or you're happy. And I thought that Nikki St. Crow did a really good job at Very good. that within her writing. Yeah, no complaints about that. Something I loved, something that I loved was that Pan and Vane were both readers. They were. Vane's like always carrying around a book. And I think that Pan reads a lot too. Yeah, I think that comes out more in book two. But yeah, I mean, Vane was reading Frankenstein in this one. Yep. I, I also really love the take on like the Lost Boys and how she did make this like a darker novella because something that like a trigger warning at the beginning of the book is being like, this is a retelling. Mm-hmm. All characters are 18. So like the Lost Boys are older than like the cartoon. Like they're yes. not children. They're, they're 18. Thank goodness. I don't think I could have read it if they were no. still like. No, no, no. They're 18, but they're like immortal. Yeah. So they're hundreds of thousands of who knows how old they actually are. But, like, the dynamic between, like, Peter and, like, his inner circle and, like, the other Lost Boys, it's kind of toxic because you can tell that, like, they are definitely way above everyone else and, like, Peter can literally kill a Lost Boy and there's no consequences. But in this story, I kind of like it. Mm -hmm. With this being a dark story. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I kind of like it because it adds that dynamic. And it does show that, like, Peter probably was a vicious king. Yeah, because we didn't really get to see a whole lot of viciousness other than him ripping the heart out. And then, like, it's implied that him and Vane killed those pirates at the bar. Yeah, but they already have beef with them. I mean, they didn't do anything to deserve it, like, in the moment. But pirates and Lost Boys, they don't... Yeah. Yeah. And the pirates were in the Neverland territory, so Mm -hmm. they were asking for it, essentially. A little bit. I did love how the boys tried to help Winnie's mother and her mental breakdown, like, how we find that out and it's like they they aren't the because because like throughout Winnie's childhood and like in the beginning in the beginning of the book we think it's Peter and the and the Lost Boys who kind of cause this breaking of of the the mind yeah and it's not the case so I kind of liked that little twist yeah and I think that the Lost Boys for as brutal as they are I think that they do treat all of the darlings over the past 200 years or whatever very kindly and as long as they follow the rules and whatever they like try to make the time enjoyable until Tilly can come in and fuck, fuck them up. up but yeah I do think that their intentions 
are good. It's just the way that they go about it. Their intentions are gray. <laughs> yeah, okay. Their intentions are gray. <laughs> but also, like, a darling did steal from Peter, and Peter's not going to be someone who's just going to let that go, especially because it's his shadow and it's so important to yeah. him. But did she do it, or was it really Tink? I don't know. I think that the darling hit it. Yeah. But it was... Was it coercion or was it malicious? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out in book three. Maybe. And then I did like the Tink storyline and how it ties into the twins and the current fairy queen dynamic problem storyline plot point. Yeah. No, I thought that, that was a good... A good way to bring Tinkerbell into things. Mm-hmm. And also it's kind of... It's funny because watching the animated children's like Tinkerbell is very jealous and very possessive of Peter even in a children's yeah and definitely is standoffish and like and especially towards Wendy yeah like she has beef with any other female that Peter is interested in Mm -hmm. so I feel like so it tracks yeah I feel like that was a very smart move yeah in thinking of like okay how can I bring Tinkerbell right and obviously Tink is dead in this but it's still, it's like a nice nod to like such a big character in Peter Pan. Yeah, because you can't not talk about Tinkerbell. Right. And then my last love is I like how Winnie gets to choose to go back to Neverland. Since she was taken there against her will, I like that when she goes back, at least this time, it is her choice. Right. And Peter is almost like, before Winnie is like, please take me back, Peter's like, Thanks for all you did. Like, we really appreciate it. You're you can home stay now. now. Like, you're you're not going to go crazy, whatever. But then Winnie's whole thing is, like, this is her 19th house. Yeah. And she's never felt at home anywhere. Right. But she's starting to feel at home in Neverland. Right. Like, she feels like she actually belongs somewhere. So I can understand it. And I do like that, how with her going back, it isn't like she's been abducted again. Yeah. That it was, like, consensual, and she made that choice. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Choice. Choice. So moving right into our hates. So my first hate is, like, how long the dialogue of, you're going to help us find something that was stolen and lost. What is it? We aren't going to tell you. That dragged on a little too long for me. Yeah, you did have an issue with that. I didn't find it annoying, um, but I could understand the frustration element of just being like, why the fuck can't you just tell her it's the shadow? Why do we yeah, have to you don't go even have to book? give a whole lot of information just because, I mean, the answer of my shadow, it'd be like, the fuck are you talking about? But at least you were honest. Right. I feel that. So obviously with this series, you're dealing with Neverland where lost boys go. They don't grow up. So like definitely like gray area. Mm-hmm. And I like, I like how Nikki St. Crow made the story and obviously aged them up. Yeah. Or whatever. That was necessary. But still them being like 18 and this being like super, super smutty. But then I also think like, well, yes, they're in 18-year-old bodies, but they are hundreds of years old. Except for Winnie. Except for Winnie. But like Winnie, even in that first opener, has been probably, like she's been sleeping with people to feel that connection for years at this point. Yeah. So. And that's just how she's coped because, you know, she her mom was a sex worker and, like, another role model she had was worker. a sex worker. So. so, like, it's, I understand it and I'm not necessarily mad at it, but at some points when I thought about it, it's just kind of like, ugh, this is just kind of a lot. It is. Kind of to piggyback off of that with a hate that I had, Winnie being taken at 18 
feels kind of groomy with the storyline, especially since like her mom was kind of prepping her for this abduction. Right. Her whole life. Gross. And then it kind of also gives me slight incest vibes at points with like the twins being with Winnie together and like Winnie sharing sexual partners with one of her ancestors. A little icky. Yes. So like the thing that I kind of, we've talked about this because something that you mentioned was like with the twins, with the brothers sharing Winnie, how I kind of let that be okay is the fact that they're fae. And that this is fantasy. So I'm like, you know what? The fa- like, they're mythical creatures. Yeah. Maybe it's not that big of a deal in, like, fairy in their land. But still just a, a little icky. Right. And, I mean, to go about, like, what you said about, like, a little bit with, like, Peter being in love with the first darling. One thing that I did kind of find confusing is I feel like... Throughout the book, it changed who Winnie's grandma was. Because, like, okay, so the original darling was, like, 200 years ago. Mm -hmm. So would that just be, that would be, like, a great, great, great ancestor, right? Like, 200 years? Would that be more than just a great, great? Depends on how long they live for. Because the thing is, Wendy, the original darling Wendy, went to Neverland but was killed, which means that she could not procreate. She did not have any kids. And the curse is placed on Wendy's sister. Who was that person in the memory dream that Winnie had, putting the box in the trunk. Or just like seeing things, like hiding or whatever. But then it's like there's a point where Winnie's like, it's my great, great grandmother Wendy's trunk. So I'm like, okay, is Wendy like a a family name? Are there multiple generations of Wendy's? But it's like, why would you have... Two Wendy's, like it, like the original Wendy couldn't also then the little sister couldn't also be Wendy, right? Like you're not gonna have two Wendy's simultaneously, right? Yeah, so that was confusing, and I don't because that's my last hate is like the plot hole with the original Wendy darling. Like it was just a little muddy. Like I wasn't a totally sure what the fuck was going on with that. Yeah, because I'm just I was like because it's uh, like clearly Winnie has to be a descendant of the little sister. I mean, she's definitely a descendant of the Darling family. Yeah. But it's like she has to come from the sister and but not Wendy the Wendy died. in that right. thing. But they, but then Nikki almost kind of alludes that to that Wendy being the great-great-grandmother, which is like, no, that can't be the case. Right. I don't know. It's, so it's just a little confusing. So yeah. it was just like a little bit little plot of, holy. Yeah. And I will say my last hate is I wish these were longer. Like, I really enjoyed these stories these books and I I'm not mad with what it's at I think with the novella length it works and she does it well would I have loved these books to be like 100 pages longer definitely for sure for sure but yeah but that's just like a personal kind of preference just because I was really sucked into this story and I just felt like it went by very fast and I just wanted more totally agree with that all right Casting. Yes. Let's move into our casting calls for this novella of The Never King. And it's going to be kind of a big casting. It is a big casting because we're doing, obviously, the people in the harem. So we got Winnie, we got Peter, we got the twins, and we got Vane. Mm -hmm. And then we're also going to cast Cherry and Meredith. Yeah. Let's just get into it because we have like six people to cast. So who did you cast for your Winnie? So my Winnie is... Phoebe Denever from Bridgerton. Okay. I like that. 
That's a good choice. And why did you cast her? Winnie is described as having, like, auburn, slightly reddish hair, and Phoebe Denever has that, and then she kind of has that, like, youthfulness to her. I mean, she is in her 20s. I, I aged some of them up a little bit just because... Me too. Don't really care for the I didn't want to cast thing. a 17-year-old in this role. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then I also feel I also feel like Phoebe's face is kind of gives me the cartoon Wendy mm. vibe a little bit too, but like obviously older. So I ended up going with Ariel Winter from Modern Family. Ooh, good choice. Yeah, because she also so she has naturally dark hair. Mm-hmm. So I was picturing Wendy with like darker hair. I must have missed the description or thought the description was wrong. But Ariel Winter currently has like auburny hair. So I was like, oh, okay. And the same kind of with your choice. Like, she has that youthfulness, but she's over 20. She's 24. So, like, I felt comfortable casting her in, like, this type of role. Um, but she does have that, like, youthfulness. And she's obviously beautiful. Yes. So, like, guys would probably be like, yep. I'm going Let's go. So who did you cast for your Peter? So my Peter, I cast Thomas Doherty. He was in one of the Descendants Descendants. movies, and Mm -hmm. he's been in some other stuff. But, like, just his, like, angular face and, like, sharp jawline and being darker featured with, like, these very alluring eyes. I'm like, ooh, that spoke to me with, like, how the Peter was described. I feel that. So I went with a recast kind of on the same wavelength of Alex Skarsgård, like, He is someone who I would cast for any younger roles who has, like, darker features. And that's Jacob Elordi. You also just love him. I don't know why I'm so obsessed with this person. I just think he's beautiful. And (laughs) he also, like, in Euphoria, like, Nate is kind of, like, a bad guy. So, like, he can definitely pull out that, like, bad guy. But he also has, like, the sex appeal. Like, add some tattoos. Add some rings. I think he would be a fantastic I mean, Peter. It's definitely a good choice. Yeah. And so I'm just warning you, like, I will cast those two, Alex Garsgard and Jacob Elordi, <laughs> in more future episodes. That's and I'm right. not It's sorry. our podcast. We can cast who we want. Yeah. I just, there's no one better, okay? In my opinion, there's no one better. Until studios actually start truly asking us for, like, <laughs> legitimate <laughs> casting calls, we're going to do this how we want. Exactly. So who did you cast for your vein? So my vein, I casted KJ Appa. That's a good one. From Riverdale. Yes. Okay. I like that. I could see him as a vein. Yeah. And he's kind of buff. I mean, he had to get buff for, to be Archie. Right. Oh, yeah. He's been definitely chiseled. Like, yeah. he goes to the gym. He works out. Yeah. I went Austin Butler. Because mm. how I was kind of picturing vein is he's, he's taller I don't think he's taller than Peter. No, Peter's the tallest of But them he's all. still tall, but he's more of an athletic build. He's yeah. not, the twins are very bulky. Yes. And Peter's kind of like in between, I think, the twins and Vane in like bulkiness. And then Vane is definitely like that skinny white boy, but like toned. Yeah. Like still ripped, but just like slighter in size. And like Austin Butler kind of fits that for me. Okay, moving on to the twins. Who did you cast as Bash and Kaz? Okay, so aesthetically and, like, how they were written and the fact that I wanted to cast actual twins, I agree with my choice. But you're not fans of them personally. Yeah. And that's the Dolan twins. I mean, 
I was looking at pictures after you told me that was your casting, and I was like, I could see it. They are darker features. They are a little bit buffier. I feel like they could definitely play that, like, those roles of the twins. Yeah. So I also casted twins. I went a little bit older with Max and Charlie Carver. They were in Teen Wolf, and they played twins in Teen Wolf. Um, So I cast Bash as Max Carver, and I cast Kaz as Charlie Carver. Max looks like he is a little bit more edgier. Like, he can be a little bit more of a bad boy, where Charlie just looks like kind of like a sweetheart. Like, they're auras. One just has, like, a lighter aura than the other. Not, like, necessarily saying that a dark aura is whatever. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. Yeah, I got you. But they're also, like, buffier. I'm here for that. Yeah. So who did you cast as your cherry? So for my cherry, I casted China Ann McLean. Okay. She's a Disney darling. Yes. Was in Descendants. Um, She played a pirate. Pirate. Okay. Very fitting for cherry. Yeah. I like that. Because she comes from Hook's territory. Okay. I went with a younger, like, early 20s Lindsay Lohan. Cherry was also depicted as having, like, bright red hair. So I wanted to go with someone who was, like, a redhead. And Lindsay in her, like, early 20s, like, before her kind of meltdown. Yeah. I mean, I feel like she would play that role really well. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And if we really wanted to age them up, she could even do it now. Like, and kind of embody Cherry. And moving on to our final casting, who did you cast as Meredith or Mary? I cast Drew Barrymore. So I feel like Drew Barrymore could play Phoebe Denever's mom. Oh, Drew Barrymore could play like a schizo. And yeah, and, and they like could still do, like boho-y. Like, yeah. And then also I do feel like they kind of favor each other looks wise. Like you could definitely believe that Phoebe came from Drew. I feel that. So my choice was Jennifer Connelly. And it was the same type of thing where I thought that her and Ariel look a lot alike. So I was like, that connection of mother-daughter would be realistic and believable. Okay, so those were our casting calls. If you want to see who we're thinking of when we're talking about all these random actors and actresses and celebrities, check out the Instagram. Emotions and Potions pod. Yep, that is correct. (laughs) We say it every episode. I can't believe you forgot. I know. Sorry. Okay, song choice. Got a soundtrack. This. All right. So my overall song choice for this book and kind of so far the series is "Everything Black" by Unlike Pluto and Mike Taylor. Mmm. I like that for the overall theme. Yeah. For the whole book vibe. Mm -hmm. So I did not do an overall book or an overall song choice for the book, but I did do a Lost Boys anthem, which was Immortals by Fall Out Boy. And it's still, like, edgier. Yeah. Like, it, it would fit it would. the Lost Boys. I also gave the Lost Boys a theme. Ooh, what did you choose? Me and My Demons by Omido and Silent Child. Very cool. I like that. Is it, does it give very much? Oh, it's the, very dark. I mean, the song, Me and My Demon, like, they all, yeah. they all got demons. Oh, for sure. Um, I have a song... That the Lost Boys, it's a Lost Boys song towards Winnie. And it's <laughs> such a horror, baddest remix by JVLA. Yeah. 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 I just, that remix is just so good. It is. So that's definitely my song from the Lost Boys to Winnie. I have a song for like Battle for Neverland. Ooh, okay. And that's Black Sea by Natasha Bloom. Ooh, that is a good one. Oh, you have you picked some good songs. I like your uh, categories too. 
Thanks. So I have a category of when Winnie finds her lost boys and realizes Neverland is home, she's always been searching for. It's a very long (laughs) (laughs) description. (laughs) But it's Lost by Maroon 5. It kind of talks about how they were lost until they found. Yep. And then they're, they are no longer lost and they're like, they're found and happy and X, Y, and Z. Everything beautiful. Yes. My next song choice is for the darlings in Neverland. Like anytime a darling goes to Neverland for the first time. And that's New Girl by Phineas. That's a good one. I listened to that a few times on the play, on the playlist. And that's very fitting. So I also have a song for Winnie trying to get with the Lost Boys. Ooh. And that's Need to Know by Doja Cat. That song is so sexual. Yeah. But it's also a banger. It's so good. Good pick. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> My next category is when the darlings return to the real world. Ooh, okay. And that's Ramblings of a Lunatic by Bears and Trees. I don't think that one needs any explanation. Right. <laughs> Poor darlings when they just get dropped back into reality. <laughs> Sorry. Have fun living life. So my last song, I also had New Girl by Phineas. And my caption was bashing Kaz towards Winnie from the jump. Because yeah. they were very on it. Yeah, that's another good way to like interpret that song. Yeah, yeah. And then my final song choice is Winnie's song. Ooh, okay. And that is Talk to My Skin by Stalgia. Ooh, okay. Is that just like embracing? Yeah, just like if you want to talk to me, talk to me naked. Ah. Basically. <laughs> okay. Very on brand for Winnie. Love it. So once again, if you want to listen to our full playlist, that includes more than just 11 songs. Yep. There's a lot of them on there. There's a lot. Head over to Spotify, Emotions and Potions Pod. It's literally labeled The Never King. Yep. And you can find all of our other playlists and over there And it's going to be linked in the episode description. It's in our link tree, which you can find on our Instagram. There's lots of ways to get to all of the things. Yes. So before we do our letter reveal... Let's do some ratings. What's that spice rating? Okay. So I went a four out of five for the spice. Because I thought that there was a lot going on in this book. Yeah. And I think that the undertones of just like that sexual frustration, tension, added a lot to the spice level. That's fair. I'm going a little lower. Okay. I think this is the first time that I have rated the spice of the book higher than you. Probably. Okay, so what did Maybe you do? Maybe it's happened before. What did you do? It's not common. No. Normally, I feel like I underball them. I'm going to go 3.5. Ooh, okay. I mean, still spicy. Still plenty oh, yeah. of spice. Plenty of spice. But it's not that kinky. Interesting. That's interesting. I love how we always have different spice I mean, it's ratings. dirty. It's definitely a dirty book. I mean, I mean, there's... I just, I just think about that bonfire scene. Like, that is a four, I feel like. There was sharing. It was public. People were watching. You had the twins kind of gangbanging her in a sense. A little bit. Zane spitting in her mouth. That's. I mean, there was a lot of degradation, like conversation, like just the banter during the sex scenes. Like, yeah, but then like you know, going back and it's like there really wasn't that many actual scenes, scenes in this book. Yeah, I think is where I kind of start to. Lower it a little bit. Yeah. Because I will, I, will, I will agree with you that the amount of sex scenes Not a wasn't lot. actually crazy. It was more tension than action. 
Right. And I guess I just rated it a little bit higher because of the overtone of just how overtly sexual the book yes. is. Yes. It definitely is. Yes. But okay, 3.54, that's not that far off. So like yeah. we're in the same ballpark. I mean, you can round a 3.5 up to exactly. a 4. So for my overall ranking, I went a 9 out of 10. I really enjoyed this book. I thought it was pretty good. I didn't have a whole lot of complaints with it. I really enjoyed it. Giving it a 7.5 though. Really? Interesting. Just because there are some things that I do take issue with. Like right. the plot hole thing. Yeah. Kind of and big for me. And that follows into book two. So that's, it, like it doesn't get cleared up. Like yeah. they're still kind of like, wait, what is going on? I'm confused. Fair and enough. then just kind of like the looking back groomy potential questionable incesty vibes. I feel that. But see, I But it's not a bad book. Right. Like it's nothing that like turns me off from reading right. it. Obviously, I immediately picked up the second one and I'm super excited for the third one to get released and very excited that there is going to be a fourth. But just as far as like rating it more so for like the masses. Mhm. I feel that. 7.5. See, I personally, when we're talking about it, I can definitely understand where you're coming from with, like, your issues with, like, potential groomy, potential incesty, like, that type of thing. For me personally, I didn't really pick up on those things, and I didn't really have issues with it. I guess with, like, the grooming aspect, the fact that no, no, none of the other darlings have ever had sexual relations with the Lost Boys, and it wasn't her mom grooming her to be ready for this sexual awakening and encounter. She was getting groomed to be kidnapped, though. Right. Because of a curse. It's fantasy. Like, I just don't, I don't feel like groomy. Like, that's the only, like, I can, I get it. But for me personally, I didn't feel that way. And then with the incesty things, I'm just like, they're fairies. But if we didn't have that fantasy element, like, I feel like the fantasy is what makes everything okay. Yes. But if you took out the fantasy and had all of this be in, like, real life, London versus Neverland, Super problems. Yes. But I think that it's the fact that it's a retelling and it is supposed to be very fantasy. Me personally, I didn't have any issues with kind of the setup of how things happen. Yeah. Fair. And so I guess that's also why I like rated it higher. Just because like I just really, really enjoyed it and I didn't have. Imagine if this was someone's first introduction to a retelling of of Peter Pan. Oh my goodness. I mean, I haven't really read any retelling of Peter Pan that's been like, oh, this is like an easy, easy entrance into, I mean, Hooked was not, that was very, very smutty. And then the Wicked Villain series that we've read with Pan and Tink, like that was very smutty. That was smutty. I don't really think I've read one that's like, oh, this is tame for a smutty retelling of Peter Pan. (laughs) But I definitely think you got to start somewhere. True. But this one's shorter. So maybe that's a good intro. Maybe. That's less than 200 pages. That if you don't like it, just get through it. And then you don't have to continue reading. So Alex, are you giving this book a love or a hate letter? Oh, I'm still giving it a love letter. Okay. Same. Hard love. Oh, it's an absolute love letter. Yes. Yeah. And as the, for the series goes, so far, it's a love for both books. I was just feeling a little extra critical today. I don't I know why. I feel that. Hey, it's okay. Sometimes you feel... I mean, I have that sometimes where I'm just like, I don't know why I feel so strongly about this one thing that actually doesn't have anything to do with anything, but I'm going to talk about it and vent about it. So we, hey. But it's still an absolute love. Yes. And recommend it. I recommend it. It's on Kindle Unlimited. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, the third book is dropping September 1st. And I think, didn't we see on Instagram or Facebook or something? That There's the, a fourth one. That hopefully will be out by the end of the year. Yes, hopefully. So by December of 2022. And then I believe that would be the complete the series. It's yeah. just going to be the four. And then there may be a spinoff? Maybe. Potentially. It, it was what it kind of felt like with the fourth book announcement. Oh, okay. Cool. Maybe. I won't be mad at that. Question. Yeah. Asterisk. I like Nikki St. Crow. Yeah, I kind of want to see if there's anything else I out know. there. I would, I would read more of her stuff. For sure. All right. So that was an episode of The Never King by Nikki St. Crow. This is Emotions of Potions, a love slash hate letter too. And it was a love letter from the both of us. And it was a love letter from Ash and Al. Hey. Make sure you follow, subscribe. Rate, review, everything positive. Slide into our DMs. Leave us suggestions. Comments, if they're nice. And we hope you enjoyed the episode. And until next time, bye. bye.